six times just today. Yeah, six times today. Now, it's not uncommon for me to get those calls all throughout the week, maybe even every day daily, but six in one day, that that might be a record. They all had one thing in common. All these dogs suffered from aggression, bad aggression problems. The other thing they all had in common, they all were sent to a either two-week or four-week board and train, or they had private lessons at home. But the one common denominator out of all of this is that the trainers were training using aversives with aggressive dogs. Buckle up, everybody. We've got a lot to unpack this hour. Raised by wolves with canine DNA in his blood, having trained more than 24,000 vets, helping you and your fur babies thrive. Live in studio, it's Pet Talk Today with Will Bangura, answering your pet behavior and training questions. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host and favorite pet behavior expert, Will Bangura. Happy August 4th. Friday. Hey, it's Friday, everybody. (laughs) We made it to the end of the week, but not without some craziness. I started the show talking about six times today. I get a call from six different people. All of them have aggressive dogs because I work with aggressive dogs. They call me and two of the pet owners are sobbing. They're crying because they think that they're going to have to euthanize their dog. I'm, they're looking at me, hey, you're, you're my last option. The one common denominator, that was call after call after call. They either used an electronic collar or a prong collar. They were correcting, the real word is punishing, the dog when the dog was aggressive using aversive tools, using aversive methods causing fear, pain, and intimidation, using fear, pain, and intimidation, physical corrections to try to get the dog to stop being aggressive. Now, if you're a regular listener of Pet Talk today, you are shaking your head, your eyes are rolling, you can't believe it either, that in 2023, in the modern age that we have today, we've got trainers out there that and i have to believe they just don't know any better that are using punishment to deal with aggression the aggression you know that behavior that you see on the outside the dog barking and lunging and snarling and showing its teeth and air snapping and maybe biting that's not the problem That is not the problem. See, as a behaviorist and a certified dog behavior consultant, my job is to look at the underlying root cause of the problem, deal with that underlying root cause, and when you deal with that underlying root cause, the problem stops. Imagine we've got a pot of boiling water on the stove. Got the fire on, right? What's causing the water to boil? The water's boiling in that pot. What's causing the water? But it's the fire underneath the pot. You turn on the fire, boom. Water will boil eventually. Turn off the fire, things cool down, the water stops boiling. It's the same thing with aggression and using punishment. It's like putting, punishment is like putting a lid on the top of that pot of boiling water when you're trying to use punishment when you're dealing with aggression. Yeah, those dogs were done with the board and train, came home. Those dogs were done with their in-home private training. The same story I hear all the time. Everything was great. And then this happened. And then that happened. And it's always about two to three months after the dogs are done uh, either with board and train or after they're done with in-home private lessons. It's always usually two to three months. 
And the reason why they didn't turn the fire off, they weren't able to stop the boiling water. They put a lid on that top of boiling water. That's what punishment is. It's a Band-Aid. It's a quick fix. It's temporary. Look, punishment only for those two to three months suppressed the outward behavior due to fear and intimidation. The dogs were not acting aggressive for two to three months because they were scared they were going to get hurt. Let's be real here. That's exactly what has happened. Underlying almost every single dog that's out there that has an aggression issue, the underlying root cause is fear, anxiety, and stress. The dog perceives either a strange human or a strange dog, or who maybe it's somebody in the house that they know, but they perceive that trigger as a threat. And they go into fight or flight. Look, you don't go into fight or flight unless you perceive a threat. And by God, if you perceive a threat, what's going on inside of you is fear, anxiety, and stress. That's driving the bus, folks. It's the fear, the anxiety, and stress that's driving the behavior. That's the problem. The underlying root cause would be to change the dog's perception and change that underlying emotional state from one of fear, anxiety, stress, and panic, from one of viewing that trigger as a threat to view that trigger as something positive. That involves the use of counter-conditioning and desensitization. There is absolutely no aversives used in counter-conditioning and desensitization. Counter-conditioning and desensitization are the gold standard, been around forever, tried, trued, scientifically researched and studied for multiple decades. We know it works without a doubt. But if you don't have an education, if you don't have a formal education in animal behavior, you might not know that. I mean, most of my clients, my pet parents, they don't know that. They're just looking for a better way to correct, better way to punish the dog's aggression when they come to me because they think that's what needs to happen. And the reason are because people like Robert Cabral and other balanced trainers that are out there are telling people, hey, folks, you need to shock your dog. You might not be seeing it with those words, but they're advocating principles of training that are, that use aversives. First of all, they use aversives. And with, ah, so hard to say, with nuisance behaviors, um, let's say the dog has a problem. He's just, you know, excited, happy, jumps, uh, maybe gets up on the couch. You don't want him on the couch. Using an averse, using aversives, yelling at the dog, using a prong collar, using an electronic collar for those nuisance behaviors isn't going to make the dog more aggressive. I still wouldn't use those tools, prong choke or shock collar. I would use positive reinforcement because I don't need to use aversives. I can do everything I need to do. I can train in any behavior. I can modify any behavior and change what's going on with the use of positive reinforcement. And we know that that's backed in science. It's evidence-based. It's science-based. That it's more efficient, it's more effective to use positive reinforcement than when you use training methods or tools that are aversive. That the dogs that are trained with methods and tools that are aversive don't do as well as the dogs trained with positive reinforcement. The balanced trainers out there, the ones that are using rewards and corrections, 
will say, well, Will, you're throwing out half the science of learning theory because in life and in learning theory, there's the black and white, you know, the polarization, the binary aspect of our universe. There's good and bad, black and white, hot and cold. Yes and no. And positive reinforcement trainers, they won't even tell your dog no. They won't correct your dog. They just want to give it a cookie. You can't stop a behavior with a treat or a cookie. That just tells me that you don't know a lot about positive reinforcement. And you don't know a lot about trainers that use positive reinforcement and how we use positive reinforcement. It's not that we're throwing out half the science. We, we're very familiar with the four quadrants of operant conditioning and instrumental learning. We understand positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, negative punishment. Yeah, we're not in those other two quadrants. The punishment, positive punishment one and the negative reinforcement one, the one that use aversives. We know that they're there. We know that you can train a dog or an animal using it. But why would you when it's not necessary? Why would you use some type of tool or method that's causing fear, pain, and intimidation even at the smallest level, the slightest level? Why? If you could produce the same results with positive reinforcement, why would you use those tools? Well, you either don't have the skill to do it with positive reinforcement, or you just don't believe it can happen. Now, a lot of trainers, a lot of balanced trainers don't believe it can happen. And the reason is that they didn't have a good education in positive reinforcement. Most trainers, because they have no formal education, the only thing they know about positive reinforcement is you give something the dog likes right when the dog does the behavior you ask for. My God, that is just a, a small sliver, a small fraction of what positive reinforcement is. Let me see something here. So if it's all about just giving treats, here's a book, Aggressive Behavior in Dogs, okay? I'm going to give this guy a plug, too. Let's bring it up here. A Complete Technical Manual for Professionals. It's by James O'Hare. Okay? All of this is positive reinforcement. The smallest part is given a food reward. No, we don't tell dogs no. Rather than telling dogs no, which isn't going to do us much good. No, 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 What? No. 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 No, 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 no. That's what you guys sound like all day long, yelling, no, no, no. And it's not working. Come on. It's not working. Why? You're not. Well, one thing, you're not consistent with it. So, no, we're not telling dogs no. But that doesn't mean that we're letting them get away with the behavior. It doesn't mean that we're just throwing our hands up in the air and going, oh, well, there's nothing we can do here. There's a thing called differential reinforcement. Think about different when you hear differential. Teaching a different behavior that you can get the dog to substitute in place of the behavior that you don't like because that substitute different behavior has been trained in the dog and the dog's highly motivated through positive reinforcement to do that trainer, you see, to do that behavior. You see, what you don't understand is something very, very simple. It's A plus B equals C. That behavior is the B. So jumping, right? What happens right before the dog jumps? 
Well, maybe somebody comes into the house, right? A stranger or maybe you. They're excited to see you. That's the antecedent, the A. You take the antecedent or the trigger, the person coming in the house. You can predict, hey, that's going to lead to B, the behavior. The dog is jumping. And then we got C, what is the consequence? Now, you guys, like I said, you're all just yelling, no. Or, you know, you're using a... um prong collar, a shock collar to stop that behavior. And you're saying that, hey, positive reinforcement trainers are going to just say, distract them with a cookie. But every time you're going to have to do that, that's not true. That you can't train out behaviors just using positive reinforcement. That's not true. It's called differential reinforcement. So that jumping dog, rather than saying no, I'm going to work on something where we can start saying yes to. We're going to train that dog to do an alternative behavior. So what we're going to do is we're going to set up training sessions with people coming in the door very slowly, very quietly. And we're going to ask the dog to sit or lie down or go to a bed or place. And when that happens, turn my phone off here. When that happens, we reward the dog and we do that over and over and over. We condition it with the A the antecedent. What happens before the dog jumps? Somebody's coming through the door. We work with that trigger and have we pair and associate that trigger with a certain behavior that we positively reinforce. So rather than yelling no when the dog jumps, rather than shocking the dog with a shock collar or using a prong collar and hurting the dog, we're going to spend some time teaching the dog to sit, lie down, or go to its bed, and opening the door and having somebody come in slowly and quietly. And then little by little, we're going to have that person come in faster and louder and more animated. We're going to proof those distractions. We're going to do it slowly, gradually, systematically, work at the dog's pace. And the dog will be happy to do it. Not doing it because it's afraid of getting shocked. So rather than us always telling dogs no, we're going to teach them an alternative behavior that we can say yes to. Yes! 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 So there is hope. But you're not educated. You don't know. Well, maybe you know. But you don't know that the dog training industry is unregulated. And when the dog training industry is unregulated and, and everybody's fractured, nobody's agreeing on what kind of uh, training method you should use, what kind of training tools should you use. Should you use this? Should you not use that? There is no agreement. There are no standards. There is no education requirement to be a dog trainer. There's no requirement for certification. There's no requirement for licensure. There's no requirement for insurance. Anybody can call themselves a dog trainer. You know, you could have a third grade education, never have owned a dog, never set foot in a house that owned a dog, never touched a dog. And you could put up a website and say, Hey, I'm a dog trainer. And tomorrow you start training dogs. Now, unfortunately, the people going to the website think that you're a real professional. What is a real professional? What is a real profession? Because dog training is not a legitimate profession. It's only an industry. It's not like a lot of other industries that are legitimate professions, like the veterinary industry. Veterinarian, to be a veterinarian, that's a legitimate profession. A nurse, to be a nurse, that's a legitimate profession. An electrical worker, that's a regular, traditional Simple, 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 simple. It's education. The reason that we're fractured, the reason we can't agree is there's no education requirement. Think about the doctor. Think about the nurse. Think about um, the lawyer. Think about the plumber. Think about the electrician. Think about your barber, your beautician, your cosmetologist, your nail tech, uh, the AC and heating guy that comes into the house. The one common denominator with all of those legitimate professions, number one, 
first you got to go to school. You got to get educated. And for all of those different industries, there are schools scattered all across the country, all across the world that are teaching a curriculum that is almost identical in every single school throughout the country and throughout the world. There's a standardized curriculum, standardized education. Everybody gets the same education. And you do have to have an education. You know, imagine hiring an electrician that didn't have to go to school, that electrician who didn't have to then prove their competence by being certified, a profession who actually had a license and had insurance, liability insurance. Well, take all that out and you get Joe Blow electrical worker that comes in the house, does the wiring. Well, if he does it wrong, the consequence might be that your house burns down with you in it. Going to school and the formal education matters. Proving your competence and being certified matters. Being licensed, having some oversight of what you're doing, and having to have liability insurance, there's a reason for that. We would not accept that if we were looking for a doctor. We would not accept that if we were looking for a lawyer. We would not accept that if we were looking for an electrician. Well, maybe not. You know, there are things that we we just, it's how we view things. Look, if you view your dog as just a object, if you view your dog as just a possession and not like a family member, that's going to dictate too how you might train. The dog training industry will never be a profession, a legitimate profession, until there is a requirement to be certified. And in order to be certified, you're going to have to go to accredited schools or trade schools, colleges, where there is a program a standardized curriculum and education that people that want to train pet companion animals have to go through. And once they have been educated, once they've proved their competence and their knowledge through certification, they get a license to practice. And part of that is all of those other professions, they are bound by certain ethics. and They got to follow certain guidelines. And also, there is the continuing education requirement to make sure that you're staying on top of the latest and greatest science, that what you're doing is evidence-based and based in science. But can we, can we get together as an industry and do that when half of the trainers out there or a large number of trainers out there, the balance trainers are throwing out the science. You know, they accuse us positive reinforcement trainers of throwing out half the science. Learning theory says you got positive punishment, negative reinforcement too. That's aversive. That's the way people and animals learn. Yeah, we know that stupid. Of course we know that doesn't mean they have to be used doesn't mean they're the most effective and most efficient ways to train an animal. My God, B.F. Skinner said so way back when. The father, basically, of behaviorism. Thorndike, Watson, they all said it. Positive reinforcement is the most efficient, most effective way to train an animal. How do you think they're training the orca whales? They're putting in a shock collar on the whale? How are they training big tigers and lions? Are they putting e-collars on them? But look at the amazing things that they're able to get them to do. 
you know, they used to tranquilize lots of animals in zoos when they had to give them a vaccine, had to give them a shot. Well, that caused a lot of stress for the animal. What they did was they started teaching the animals through positive reinforcement to present their selves, their body, where they need to get the shot and to get a shot with positive reinforcement. No, no sedation. They're not tranquilized. And they're presenting their arm, their leg, their rear end, all through positive reinforcement training to get a shot. Yeah. The problem is this. We're not throwing out the science. We just know that it's unnecessary. It is unnecessary to use aversives. And aversive training can cause problems with dogs. We are not ruining dogs psychologically or physically with training with positive reinforcement. Now, I know the balance trainers are going to say, yeah, you give so many treats, you're going to get fat. Don't give so many or use very tiny treats. Come on. Do you think we're stupid? That is such a stupid argument. To advertise, to talk, to say to pet parents, this is not a punishing device. This is just to get their attention. Bullshit. When they get distracted and you have to get their attention, you have to turn it up to a higher level. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when that tool is going to cause some pain, discomfort. Now, a lot of dogs are resilient. They experience it, boom, they bounce back, they're fine. But what about all those dogs, all those aggressive dogs? Because you balance trainers love to take on those aggression cases. Because it's easy to punish a dog. Man, it looks good. You show some, I don't do this because I don't want to put the dog through it. I believe that the dog's aggressive, okay? I don't need to see it. But yeah, you guys like to take your video cameras, show this dog just out of control, and then show, hey, two weeks later, look at the dog doing nothing. Just fine. Man, I wish you'd follow up with your clients. I, those of you that are using tools like that and working with aggression and you're not doing counter conditioning and desensitization, please start following up with your clients. Hey, I know a lot of dog trainers listen to this podcast. See what happens two, three months later. Because I myself and many of my peers were getting calls from your clients because your stuff didn't work. Now, I'm not necessarily calling for the ban or the outlaw of choke, prong, or electric collars, but I will definitely say that they're not necessary, that you can train in any behavior without it, and you can train out any behavior without it. And if you are a trainer and you think that I'm not being true or accurate, show me a dog that has a problem that you have not been able to modify with positive reinforcement where you felt you had to use an aversive, share that with me. Let me know what that's all about. Because I'm doing it all day long. I'm taking dogs that have level four, level five bites, multiple incidents and turning them around from being afraid of the trigger and attacking the trigger to now viewing that trigger as something positive and good. We've changed that underlying conditioned emotional response that the dog has of fear, anger, and intimidation and stress being the underlying root cause of the behavior. We're not trying to put a lid on it. We're not trying to suppress that behavior temporarily. Now, I know these trainers have good intentions, most of them. They think it's working. They're not hearing back from most of the, the dog owners, the pet parents. They don't call you back because it didn't work. They don't want to go back and do the same thing again that didn't work. I mean, that's just common sense, 101. 
Why are you not following up with your clients? If you want to be a great dog trainer or a great behavior consultant, you don't just let your clients go after they paid all their money and they finished their sessions. A real professional is going to follow up with them. Make sure that there aren't any problems along the way. You know, maybe a call two months after they're done, then maybe a call at six months, and maybe a call at a year. Depending upon the dog, you might call six months later, or you might let it go then. But how are your clients doing without you, the dog trainer, for six months, a year? That's what makes you great. Permanence and reliability, that what you did to modify the behavior actually worked long-term and didn't screw the dog up more. The last thing that you want to do if you have an aggressive dog or reactive dog, I don't care if it's mild or it's through the roof, is use aversives or aversive tools. Adding fear, pain, intimidation, adding stress to that dog is only going to make it worse because that's the underlying root cause to begin with. I mean, it just seems so simple, so common sense. I don't understand why there are trainers out there that still can't get it. I don't care if you're using low-level electrical stimulation and working the dog around the trigger, making the dog do obedience commands like heal or go to place or sit or lie down and ignore the trigger as a distraction and you think everything's great, the dog's just suppressing its behavior. You haven't truly modified. Look, you're not modifying that behavior in a two-week board and train. There is not enough time for enough repetition for things to be conditioned. There has to be a certain amount of repetition for things to be conditioned. And permanence and reliability happens when something's conditioned. Have you ever played an instrument or, or tried to drive a stick shift? And in the beginning, both of those things are extremely awkward. Both of those things, there's multiple things you have to do. Um, and you have to think about all the different process, step one, step two, step three of playing that instrument or learning or driving that stick shift. And if you didn't give up, if you kept practicing, if you kept the repetition going, you got to the point where you didn't even have to think about what you were doing playing the instrument. You're just playing. You don't even have to think about what you have to do to drive a stick shift. You're just putting the clutch in, shifting, pressing the gas, not even thinking about it consciously. You're playing the instrument. You're driving the car with the stick shift automatically, instinctively, because of enough repetition that there was conditioning. If your dogs don't have the same thing, the problem is going to come up again. There has to be, there has to be counter conditioning and desensitization. Now, sure, do some dogs with punishment, does it stop it and, and they don't get aggressive again? Yes, some dogs. Some. But not for the vast majority. For the vast majority of dogs, that aggression is going to come back. It's going to rear its ugly head and bite you in the butt, no pun intended, in two to three months. Maybe sooner. Maybe later. But the vast majority of dogs, it's going to come back. Because the underlying root cause, the emotional state, was never addressed, was never dealt with. And then we've got the balanced trainers that are beating up the veterinary behaviorists saying that they just want to drug all the dogs. That is not true. That is simply not factual. And there are dogs that need medication. 
I've got thousands of cases where medication made an incredible difference. You know, you, you, you'll, you're okay with giving your dog heartworm, maybe. An antibiotic when it needs it. If your dog was diabetic, you'd give it insulin. What makes you think that there aren't neurochemical imbalances in some dogs' brains? What makes you think that some dogs have not experienced traumatic PTSD experiences and that they have PTSD because of trauma? Certainly not all dogs, certainly not the vast majority of dogs, but there is a high number of dogs, especially dogs with severe aggression, severe separation anxiety, severe fears and phobias. It's not every dog. Again, severe. Most of those dogs need a combination of medication and behavior modification. And most trainers out there, besides being anti-science when it comes to the e-collar and the prong collar, a lot of trainers are anti-science when it comes to medication. I get it. It's a psych med. I don't know why we're still freaked out about psych medication. Psychiatric mental illness has been around forever. We've been using medications with it forever. Is it a perfect science? No. Is it perfect medicine? No. 90 some percent a dog is identical to a human being. Don't remember exactly what it is. Their nervous system is almost identical. So to think that there aren't dogs out there that don't have a chemical imbalance. And we, listen, listen, listen. Why am I even... We've got enough research. We've got enough science and data from dogs that were aggressive where they took cerebral spinal fluid and they analyzed the level of neurotransmitters and lo and behold, the vast majority of dogs that had moderate to severe aggression had very low serotonin. We know for a fact, low serotonin can increase aggression. You higher the serotonin, aggression lowers. Does a pill fix your dog? No. No. It's just part of the treatment process if you have a dog that needs it. Now, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not a veterinary behaviorist. They're the ones that you go to if we're talking about medication. Now, as a certified behavior consultant, I'm and my experience, I might say, hey, I think maybe we should set up an appointment with the veterinary behaviorist or your veterinarian and see if medication might be appropriate. See what they say. Why are we still punishing dogs? It's like corporal punishment in, in, with kids. We know it is less effective. We know this. You know, it's one thing to be ignorant when the science isn't there. It's a whole nother thing to be ignorant when the science is there. I want to make sure that Robert Cabral sees this podcast or hears this podcast. Because picking a fight with Jack, Zach George, Robert, picking a fight with Zach George isn't fair. I know. You guys are fighting back and forth. He's telling you that those tools are unnecessary, just like I'm saying. You're saying they're necessary. He's providing the science like I have. You're saying it's bullshit science. But it's not fair for you to pick on Zach George. You need to pick on somebody that's actually very experienced in using aversives, very experienced with the e-collar, very experienced with the prong collar. Decades of experience, thousands of dogs that I used it on. And I'm telling you, it's not necessary. And in many cases, it makes the dog worse. Just because you haven't experienced that doesn't make it false. Just like just because you experience that 
doesn't make it true across the board. There is always going to be an anomaly. But if you could get the same results or better using positive reinforcement, would you still use those tools? And if you've got a problem with a dog that you're unable to modify using positive reinforcement, will you get in touch with me? So I can take a look at what you're doing. Because if you're not able to modify the behavior, it doesn't mean that positive reinforcement doesn't work. It means that you don't know how to use it. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. It's just a fact. I would like to help you. I am offering to help any trainer that uses aversive tools, if you have a dog that you feel you have to use those tools on to modify the behavior because positive reinforcement won't work or didn't work, let me know. I'll show you how it will work. It'll work really good. Why? Because you trainers are a lot more skilled than my clients, and I've got clients all over the globe that it works for, and I'm not even there in person. And they're not dog trainers. I'm teaching them what to do through video conference, and they're making it happen. And their dogs are the real deal, man. Dogs that, you know, are high prey drive, like through the roof. Super aggressive dogs. Super fearful and phobic dogs shaking like, you know what? If you feel that you have to use aversive method or tool and that positive reinforcement can't modify the behavior, please get in touch with me. I'm offering my service to you trainers for free. For free. Just because you think that it can't happen doesn't mean that it can't. I'll show you. I'll show you Robert. I'll show you Ivan. I don't know what can Nipopo or Nopopo. What a mixed soup of science you got going on there. I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> oh, man. What do they call that guy at the circus that is barking? <laughs> That's what I think of when I, when I hear Ivan. I'm sorry. I know it, for a lot of people, you're a deity and you've got these devotees that just worship you. You are one good BSer, man. And I think you know, I think you know you're bullshitting and you just don't care. You have made up some bullshit, this Nipopo stuff which is absolutely ridiculous, like it's this new scientific method of training dogs. There's nothing new about it at all. You've taken what's out there, just like everybody else, you put a little fucking twist on it, and all of a sudden you say, hey, I'm a fucking genius, I've invented this. Man, my podcast listeners, they've not heard a podcast like this. Because normally... I'm not doing anything like this. Normally, I'm taking calls. I'm answering questions that they've typed in the comments, helping them with their dog training and behavior problems. I'm not normally talking about dog trainers. I'm not normally talking about the dog training industry not being a legitimate profession and what needs to happen in order to make it a legitimate profession. I don't normally talk about that. I don't normally cuss. So now I got to check off that it's got explicit content. Damn it. Yeah, you can see I get a little worked up. I'm a little bit passionate about it. Um, I struggle. I'll be honest with you. I struggle. Um, one part of me wants to ban those tools. The other part of me is like, and, and, and that's because I used them for 18 years. And they're not, it's not that they're ineffective, but they're not necessary. At one time, I thought they were necessary. I did not have the education and the skill 
with positive reinforcement back then. So of course, that's what I thought. I didn't know. And I didn't know that I didn't know. And if that happened to me, it can happen to you, Robert, or anybody else. My journey was heavy compulsion, healer method, then Karen Pryor, total positive reinforcement clicker training, then back to balance training using e-collars for 18 years. Then, whoop, back to total positive, well, I wouldn't say total, back to positive reinforcement and sometimes negative punishment, taking away something the dog likes to change behavior. But not using aversives. I don't use prong collars. I don't use choke collars. I don't use electronic collars. My clients aren't yelling at their dogs. They're not kneeing their dogs. They're not throwing cans at their dog with pennies or stones in it. They're not blowing air horns at them. And they're not bribing them with food. And they're able to fade the food out when it's done correctly. But just because you couldn't do it, Robert, or just become, and and trust me, there's a lot of total positive reinforcement trainers that can't make it happen. I get it. They don't have the skill level or the knowledge yet. Maybe they'll get there. Part of the problem is we don't have an education requirement. So there's no requirement for them to learn. It's all up to you. And if you get comfortable and you're not wanting to be a lifelong student of of life learning, I mean, I've got incredible passion for changing behavior. I am always checking the science, what the latest and greatest research is saying. Science isn't always right. We, we know what we know up to this point. And in the future, we may know more information and things change. That doesn't mean we don't follow the science today. Yeah, Zach George doesn't know anything about using a prong collar, doesn't know anything about using an e-collar. Debate me, Robert. 18 years, buddy, using the e-collar. And, and you know, look, Robert, I'm being a little fun here on the video. I, I've got the utmost respect for you. You are a great businessman. You've, you've developed a great business. You've got a big following. People really like you. You're popular. I congratulate you on that. You seem very charismatic. Um, you're really good with the camera. You sound good on your uh, podcast and, and your uh, videos. I think that you are a a decent guy. I have no reason to think you're not. I'm a little concerned when I heard that you just blew off all the science that Zach George presented to you. But we don't have to talk science. We don't have to talk the studies. We could just talk. If you want to talk experience, because you're saying, hey, in my experience... The science is wrong. All right, let's we'll toss out the science. Let's share our experiences. And, and maybe, Robert, you can share a dog with me, and I'll come out. Where are you, California, Malibu? I'd love to come out. Get out of the Arizona heat that's 115, 110 every day. Love to go to Malibu and work with you and work with one of the dogs that you think you have to use it aversive method or tool. Let me show you a different way. Let me show you a way where you don't have to use those tools, where it's not necessary. Are you open-minded or have you just closed your mind completely? You start training with an e-collar and that's it. You're done. You don't want to learn anymore. You're not open to learning. Maybe that's the difference. Something's got to change. Maybe, oh man, something's got to change. I'm tired of getting the calls. 
I'm tired of hearing over and over and over that aggression cases, people are using shock collars, prong collars, aversive methods with aggressive dogs. It just doesn't work. I'm so blown away by that. I'm almost at a loss for words. And maybe you can, maybe you can kind of get that. You can get that. I'm I'm at a loss for words right now. I would love to have a civil discussion with you, Robert, about the use of aversives, um, about the science if you want, or we don't have to, um, and about dog training. Let's just talk about dog training. Let's talk about dogs. Two dog trainers talking about dogs and dog training. No character assassinations because you are probably an incredible good guy. Hey, listen, if you're good in business, you're usually good just in life general. And, and it's obvious that you're a good businessman. Anytime, in person, Zoom, doesn't matter. Over the phone, just not email and text. I don't want to be typing my life story out there. You can come on my podcast. I'm happy to come on your podcast. Yeah, why don't I come on your podcast? That way you can control things. As a matter of fact, you can videotape it, not live, but you don't have to live stream it. You can videotape it. And if you don't like it, you feel like I beat you up, well, you don't have to upload it. Nobody has to see it. But connect with me. I want to be giving you a call. I'm going to see if I get your email and email this to you. Because I want to have a balanced trainer on my podcast, or I want to be on a balanced trainer's podcast. Now, I really don't think I'm going to change anybody's mind. And I really don't think anybody's going to change my mind. But I think if it's very civil and sticks primarily with the facts, that discussion might be a really good discussion for pet, pet parents, for pet guardians, for dog owners. And then they can decide for themselves. Now, hey, I get it. Being a balanced trainer for as long as I was, I got a lot of the calls. Yeah, we trained with this person. They just used treats and there were positive reinforcement and it didn't work. It's not that positive reinforcement doesn't work. It means that that trainer was not able to make it happen using positive reinforcement. Just because your experience, Robert, is you're getting dogs that treat treat trainers. I know you like to call them treat trainers. That treat trainers couldn't fix doesn't mean there's not a lot of us using positive reinforcement and having unbelievable success. If you're a positive reinforcement trainer and you work with reactive dogs or aggressive dogs or fearful or phobic dogs, dogs with lots of anxiety, and you're struggling, get in touch with me. I will help you. I'll do it for free. I want to elevate this industry. As we get older, as we become older statesmen, we need to give back. That's why I do the podcast. Not everybody can afford training. It's not that one day I just said, oh gosh, I want to do a podcast. I've got better things to do with my Saturday mornings. That's when I end up doing my live stream Saturday morning. It's morning for me, Arizona time, 9 a.m. I could be doing something else on the weekends. But not everybody can afford dog training. Dog training's been good to me. I've made a decent living. This is my way to give back. I'm going to be reaching out to another friend of mine who I care about dearly. I trained under her, learned a ton about the e-collar, Robin McFarlane. Even had her on my podcast a while back when I was still a balanced trainer. We talked about e-collars. Don't want her on the podcast to do a gotcha, just like I'm not going to do a gotcha thing with, um, with Robert. 
Cabral. But I want to talk. I want a conversation. I want a conversation. I think, I'll, I'll tell you what, if you are a trainer who uses those tools primarily, that's primarily how you train, I would start learning to train without them really well. I think it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It is a matter of time before these tools are banned in the United States because they're being banned all over the world. I know we will be late in, in the game. That, that's America. We want our freedoms. Just like we love our guns. We love our you know, government getting involved, but they're getting involved in all the other professions. Why the hell is dog training not a legitimate profession? What made the other professions legitimate? Did they come together on their own? I need to look up the history of different trades and professions, when and how they came together to have a standardized curriculum and education, when and how they came together to have oversight, certification, proving your competence, licensure, and insurance. I'm going to research it because whatever they've done, that's the model. You know, if vet techs have to be certified, if vet techs have to have a certain education requirement, we do the same damn thing with dog training. I mean, it's going to make the industry a real profession. And who's going to benefit from it are going to be the dogs, the pet guardians. And as you learn, talking to trainers, as you learn, if you end up in that school, you're going to be more effective. And when you're more effective and more efficient, you can take on more clients. And then you make more money. Not that it's all about the money because most of us in dog training are not making a lot of money. There are some of us that are making really, really good money. Most dog trainers, you know, they, they survive. But, you know, kind of like a teacher. They're not getting paid big bucks. Now, that's not all of them. I mean, you can get into dog training and, and you know, literally you could bring in a million dollars a year. It's not difficult. If you know what you're doing. But, you know, I've been doing this for... 36 plus years. These days, there's very little things that are new thrown at me. The only reason in the past that I felt that I needed to use a prong collar or an e-collar was because I turned my head and my nose away from positive reinforcement. I didn't want to. I didn't have the desire to learn more. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe everybody's just comfortable. Comfortable doing our own thing, huh? But you guys are getting very uncomfortable because there are radical people in the positive reinforcement camp that are like crazy about banning these tools. They think you guys are the devil. Trust me. It has been difficult for me to enter <laughs> this group. It's still hard when I go to conferences and workshops because I'm very different than they are. Most trainers today that are training have never picked up an e-collar, have never picked up a prong collar. Or I should say most trainers that go through certification. Oh, there is certification. Don't get me wrong. There, there's certification. It's just not required. It needs to be required. Those of us that are trying to elevate the profession, we want to get together. We're trying to get together. And we've got certification going on. 
what we need to do next is involve state legislatures, city legislatures. Start proposing legislation that there has to be a certain education requirement. And this is a standardized curriculum and that this is what it really amounts to. And then once you go to school and you complete your training and your education, then you display and prove your competence and go through certification. It can be done. My God, do you know how many political people have dogs and love their dogs? Tell you what, do any of you know celebrities that have dogs? Most celebrities with their dogs are not going to want to use a a shock collar or a prong collar. We could do public awareness messages, have celebrities talking about it. They'd probably do it for free. It's just a matter of the outreach, matter of us trainers getting out there and doing what we need to do. Find out how laws are made in your city. Find out how laws are made in your state. I'm talking to trainers that are in alignment, in agreement that this industry needs to be regulated. For the dog's sake. I think it will be. I think this industry is going to be regulated. I think, I think those tools will be banned. Um, I still struggle with that, though. And I don't know why, but I do. Maybe because I used them for 18 years. And granted, I, you know, I wasn't frying dogs. I had a lot of success. And, you know, the, for the most part, the dogs did fine. But that's not all the dogs. And I've got to take a look at all the other situations where the e-collar and the prong collar, and I don't care that it was the person using it. Of course, e-collar doesn't do it by itself. Prong collar doesn't do it by itself because that's the argument of balanced trainers. It's not the tool. It's the fool behind the tool. Don't ban the tool. Who can police what people are going to do with the tool? We can't. Maybe we've got thousand trainers out there that are experienced and fantastic using an electronic collar and causing little, little to no anxiety, fear, and stress. That doesn't mean that A, all other trainers that use electronic collars can do what you do, and certainly doesn't mean that the general public that aren't dog trainers, that they can be skilled at doing what you're doing. If you're really good with, if you're really good, if you're really good with the e-collar or the prong collar, and you've got that kind of finesse, you're a special kind of dog trainer. Those of you that are out there, you know what I'm talking about. If you fit this, if the shoe fits. That still doesn't mean that I want those tools used on dogs. If anything, now I've signed a pledge that I'm not going to use those tools. So um, if I decide down the road that I need to use those tools, I will go to those organizations and I will tell them you have to pull my membership. The Pet Professional Guild is the one where I'm bound not to use those tools. The IAABC, the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, the uh, Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers, they're not asking for an outright ban of those tools. They're saying as a last resort. As a last resort. And with the IAABC, if you feel that you need to use an e-collar, they want you to talk to other experienced trainers that are experienced in what you're trying to modify that have had great success and try to help mentor you through that. So you don't have to use an e-collar. And that's what they're doing. Not sure what the certification council 
is doing if a trainer feels that they need to use an e-collar. So those two organizations that certify, they're not saying you can't use an e-collar or a prong collar. They're not saying, oh, you're going to be banned from our association and membership if you use an e-collar or a prong collar. Now, the Pet Professional Guild, they are. The Fear Free, because I'm a Fear Free Certified Professional, they absolutely will not tolerate anybody that is certified through them or part of their organization to use any kind of aversive. And I agreed simply because, at least at this point, my education, my training, my experience has allowed me to be in a position where I can work with the absolute most insanely distractive dog, or excuse me, most insanely aggressive dog, most insanely fearful, phobic, anxious, stressed out dog and do a phenomenal job of turning them around and modifying their behavior, never using an aversive tool, just using positive reinforcement. And it's not like I've been doing this for just two years. Maybe there will be a dog that comes along where I don't have the skill level or the knowledge to help the dog. Guess what? I don't go to a prong collar and e-collar. I start going to other professionals, other colleagues who specialize in doing the same thing that I'm trying to do and see what they think. Get some help from your colleagues. Isn't that a novel thought? Problem is we got so, even myself, I admit it. People that work in the animal training industry, we all have huge egos. We do. There's a joke. Um, The only thing that two dog trainers can agree upon is that the third one is wrong. And it's true. I struggle. There are people that are in the industry that use prong collars and e-collars that are great friends of mine that I care about dearly. And I certainly do not think that they are abusing dogs. I don't like the fact that they're using the e-collar anymore, especially the people that start the dog off right from the beginning with the e-collar. I think that's completely unfair and unnecessary. Completely unfair and unnecessary. Sorry. My trainer friends that are balanced trainers, they're going to see this. They're going to hear it. I guess this is my coming out party, huh? 